HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi there, I'm Greg from Kapow. Visit us at kapow.com to check out our unique collection of everyday reusable products designed to help you do more with less. C-U-P-P-O-W dot com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today breaking bread with Jessamine Waldman Rodriguez of Hot Bread Kitchen. Um, and we have a history. We've known each other for a long, long time. So long. And it was uh, great. kind of felicitous. I got this phone call today from uh, Mr. Mark Fiorentino, who was the boulanger at Danielle for 15 plus years, this big six foot five. Italian guy from Yonkers, you know. Bear of a lovely fellow. And um, I wandered in there shooting a story for Edible Manhattan, and I found you in this 200-square-foot, you know, flower, dusty, wonderfully effervescent of bread, um, little cove of Danielle. Uh, Tell me, how the heck did you get there and what it's done for your life? Big question, right? Yeah, so... (laughs) um, Mark and and honestly you Michael in a way because you you shot some of the first images of of Hot Bread Kitchen that got a lot of traction but Mark and and kind of all of those early experiences really put us on the on the map and changed my professional and personal trajectory but I had this crazy idea um, early early on in my professional career about starting an immigrant women's baking collective really helping women who have passion and skill in, in baking leverage that and get good jobs in the baking industry but I wasn't a baker and I wasn't an immigrant and just kind of tabled the idea and like 
just kept, the idea kept nagging with me and through a series of fortuitous meetings one of which was my my now husband um i ended up meeting mark and and convinced him although it didn't take a ton <laughs> of convincing to let me stage in the bakery and like full disclosure at that point i didn't know how to roll a baguette i you know i really knew very little about baking but mark um he got the vision he he understood that there was a real need for more talent in the industry and that women could be successful bakers. Yet at that point, he'd never actually hired a woman to work in his bakery. I think he recognized the potential of having more women in, in the bakery. Yeah, but it, it's been in your blood. I mean, even in your great maternal blood, your grandmother used to bake at Perlmutter's in Toronto. No, no. my grandfather, grandfather was Perlmutter's yeah. in Toronto. So so my grandfather was was an immigrant from, from Russia. And um, yeah, he, he, he was a baker and started started I, I said my great grandfather right yeah my great grandfather and he started a bakery um and well, by the time i came around he the bakery had already closed that branch of the promoters bakery but it, yeah it's definitely my blood which um my poor bubby nearly killed her that i had made the decision after having a master's degree from columbia to enter the bakery baking field um but she ended up being quite proud so, I mean, Hala's on Friday afternoons felt natural to you. Yeah, so my, my, my mom used to bake Hala's with me. We, um, we, we lived in a rural area, not, not far from Prince Edward County, actually, when I was a kid. And we couldn't get Hala for, like, you know... 200 miles there was no challah 200 kilometers there was no challah around so my mom um, would bake challah with us and that for me I think was a very formative experience I like how you just went metric yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. oh you Canadians seamlessly yeah, right? those, Canadians make the best bakers because they're already in metric um, you know as, as you said you have this MPA from Columbia um, but then you pursued a master baking degree at Columbia um, Danielle obviously was formative in that, but what made this business plan come together? A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> um, you know, so so the the ideas are a real hybrid model, right? We we do just as much training as we do selling of bread, and my background really represents the full gamut of that. And so we, you know, I the the model works because we raise philanthropic cal. cal we raise philanthropic capital. I negotiate a lot with the the city of New York. I work at kind of the policy level and the work that we do. And we've set up one of the rare models where there's like a strong revenue stream and also a strong social outcome. And so in the end, the policy degree and my work at the United Nations and diplomacy and kind of government affairs has really been quite critical to running what is ultimately, a you know, now a growing um, wholesale bakery. You know, a lot of people go to the source for research, but it's almost like you imported them. Um, talk to me about real tortillas. Oh my God! Yeah, I could. Yeah, that, that's like a whole additional show. So tortillas in New York City in general are like terrible, and what people call corn tortillas are have nothing to do with the true true corn tortilla. So the first bread that we ever brought to market was a nixtamal corn tortilla. At, um, I had spent a lot of time in my previous career in Central and South Central and South America and in Mexico, and um, it got the real pleasure of smelling real masa, touching real masa, eating tortillas, um, eating tacos made with real tortillas, 
and and I recognized when I when I moved here that there was a real need in the marketplace for that. So the first woman that I um, brought into the fold who Michael you met you're one of the few women was a woman named Lydia who lived really close to here in Bushwick um, who brought her tortilla press with her over the Rio Grande and taught us how to mix them all corn and 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 start a corn tortilla and that has been kind of our signature product and has grown year over year um, since then yeah I mean now you sell kind of a, a nixtamalization set where it has the grinder you know you get the corn you get that uh, um, you know, alkaline solution to be able to soak it in. But where's the bike? The high, exactly. <laughs> we need to we need to sell a, a retrofit bike. Yeah, kit. I mean, talk to me about that bike too, because that was kind of um, such a, a masthead for the brand at a yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's your classic image of that bicycle that yeah. really put us on the map in a way. So we were so we started grinding corn. We I knew we wanted to do a nixtamal tortilla and Elidia had a hand grinder and so we first started grinding corn by hand and that was okay when we were doing two pounds and three pounds of nixtamalized corn. But then when we got to be doing ten pounds of corn it was really hard work. And um I recognized that there was probably a machine somewhere that could do this that would probably be plugged in, but that might have been like a little too far along. And I was also looking for big PR wins. So I um, commissioned through a fortuitous meeting uh, a corn grinding bicycle. I met a, I met an architect from, from Berkeley and had one call with him and explained what we needed. And then a couple months later, a huge box arrived at my, at my door. And in it was the pieces to put together a corn grinding bicycle along with like a blueprint for how to put it together. So um, my husband and I, or my boyfriend at the time, put it together. And we used that for about a year to grind corn but it was not like ergonomic nor easy to grind corn on so we we outgrew it um and then we got another Lydia went home to Mexico for the holidays and she got another corn grinder and she called me from Mexico and she was like Jesse, necesito $400. Like, I need $400. Wire Western Union to me here. And, and I was expecting her to come back with a little grinder in hand. But instead, like two, like two months later, a huge semi pulled up in front of my <laughs> truck with a massive, like, I'm not even kidding, like the size of a Volkswagen made in someone's garage corn grinder. I had to pay the guys on the street in beer to bring it up the st- up the steps of my brownstone into my living room at Sunset Park, and we used that one for a while. And now we have a, a, a kind of an integrated machine that does the grinding and the the feeding of it. Yeah, you know these stories. You know, you invest so much time and capital in, into these projects, but. Um, into these women as well. And I mean, uh, Nancy Mendez, I think, oversees the bakery now and makes sure those tortillas are just right. Yeah, she's, she's really she's really a pro. And she's, you know, the, that I, I bought a tortilla-making machine in East L.A., and I was like, oh, it's easy. You just buy the machine, they, they drop it off, and then the tortillas will come out all right. And when it got there, we were like, what the hell? Is, like, what the, what do we do with this machine? And Nan, Nancy, who was a graduate in the program, just really took it upon herself to figure it out she called her cousins she like made the thing work and now she has you know she's really created a lot of value to the company and and to herself um by having full domain of the operation of of the tortillas for us and that machine does um 250 dozen an hour so they just like fly fly off the machine i mean before we talk more about bread let's talk 
more about HPK Incubates because, yeah. I mean, it, it supported growth over 100 businesses, you know, um, 200 jobs in the city. I mean, what it's done uh, to raise the level of bread, but also of staffing immigrant women in New York is yeah. kind of unbelievable. Um, did you see that? I mean, did you see that larger picture when you started, you know, grinding corn in your apartment? Yeah. So, you know, when we... Um so the, the answer to that to that question is no. I had a I had a big vision, but I would have been too humble to ever think that we would achieve what we had achieved. Now I don't know what I was thinking in starting it if I didn't believe that because truthfully you need to get to a certain scale to have impact, and I really wanted to have impact. But there are days when what we have achieved takes my breath away, and then there's like days where the the breath of the challenge takes my breath away. And when we moved uptown, so we're, now we're in La Marqueta in East Harlem in El Barrio, which is where I think we truly belong. Um, when we moved up there, I really made the decision that I wanted to support the women coming through the training program and starting their own food businesses. And just in general, leveraging all of the like invaluable information that I had figured out and learned, how, leverage that into helping small businesses. So we launched the second program, which is HBK Incubates. And that has become its own animal and its own its own planet and, and we just built out another 3,000 square feet in an adjacent building to really make that program its its own and 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 give it its own space and and um life well i mean it's the access you know being able to have a commercial kitchen um you know being able to have business development being able to have a community around you doing that same thing aggregates a bigger community and better business yeah um and it, it was so autonomous before then. And, yeah. you know, th this is a market that has existed in New York since the 1930s. I mean, Fiorella, uh, Fiorella um, LaGuardia built this thing, and markets in New York have kind of disappeared. Only in the past, yeah. like, five years have we seen these, you know, grand halls of other people working with other people kind of pop up again. How, how important is that sense of community? So I can't underestimate how... I can't overestimate the importance of being in that in that in that market for us like we don't have a lot of you know when we went in there there wasn't a lot of other um other vendors and they're you know we're the only group doing manufacturing but what i would say is is that there's just good bones the the bones of food entrepreneurship are in the the space and in the blood of that building and and there's now you know a really big initiative um Melissa Markovaver, you know, the speaker of, of city council is putting a lot of effort into trying to rejuvenate and reactivate that market. There's a Sunday Vendi Awards as a Vendi Plaza, and we're seeing a lot of real new excitement around around La, Mar around La Marqueta. Yeah, I mean, you've had 30 plus graduates um, and again, place these people in wonderful positions, Sidell's, uh, Whole Foods. I mean, most of the best bread in New York, probably touch the hands of someone who's gone through HBK at some point. Sweet. No, it, it's not just sweet. It's true at this point. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the footprint, or let's, let's call it the handprint, because there's not much, you know, kneading with feet these days. Or I don't know, maybe it's some kind of therapy. Um, it's, it's humongous. And there are only so, in the vinegar world. Yeah, only, <laughs> only the grape, grape stomping. Um, I mean, the success stories that have come out of there are, are fantastic. Um one of my favorites was the Harlem Pie Guy. Yeah. So d tell me about Clinton. 
So Clinton Shabazz is, is an awesome entrepreneur. We have a partner with NYCHA, the Public Housing Authority of New York, to get more public housing residents into the food on, in, uh, incubator. Um, I think they're sick of people running food businesses out of their house because those aren't big houses. And so they're trying to, they've kind of create a pipeline of great entrepreneurs. Um, and the first person to come through that was, was Clinton Shabazz, the Harlem pie man. And so he has a pie business. He sells um, awesome pies and has for like 20 years on 125th street in Harlem. And we got, he came into the incubator and he's just exploding. Um, Whole Foods is so excited to have him. They're really invested in their local partners and they're very excited about getting him because they're teeing up for a store opening on, a, on 125th Street. And so in anticipation of that, he's selling it a bunch of Whole Foods and we just got him a great gig at Barnard. And so this is the way, you know, he's the perfect example of what we can do in the incubator. We didn't have to teach him anything. That guy is a natural born entrepreneur. He's been selling a really high quality product he has a market for what he does the only thing we've done is kind of put a spotlight on him for a different audience and he's 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 a tremendous success for himself and with thanksgiving coming up those pecan pies are freaking ridiculous freaking ridiculous <laughs> tell me about fanny perez so fanny um the queen of the pernil there's no pernil no better pernil in the city um she is a woman who graduated from the um bread training program and started an Ecuadorian catering business in the incubator. She also has, I should mention, four delicious recipes in the New Hot Bread Kitchen cookbook. Um, she has a, a tortilla de tiesto, which is a really different kind of tortilla that has some salty cheese in it, and a, and a cooked shrimp ceviche, which is tremendous, and a, and a couple of other things. So Fanny's a great success story because she took what we taught her in the bread tra training program, how to um, operate safely and securely in a commercial kitchen space, what kind, you know, how to produce in volume and she opened up in the in the um, incubator program and, and from the incubator she now is able to cater huge w weddings um, quinceañeras baptisms um, out of the kitchen and I'm telling you nobody does roast pork like Fanny I said well luckily there are those recipes in the book we're going to take a quick break and come back tell you how to make a legit taco and learn about all the people baking in La Marqueta at Hot Bread Kitchen right now. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Americans throw away 58 billion disposable cups every year. A lot of those cups will still be around long after you're dead. Kind of dark, I know, but I'm Greg from Kapow, and we decided to do something about it. We created the only glass travel mug that's 100% U.S. made. You can check it out alongside our complete line of everyday reusables at kapow.com, C-U-P-P-O-W.com. 
Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with... I've had so many three-name people lately. Uh, Jessamine Rodriguez-Waldman. I know it's I know it's multiple last names, but I feel akin to you in that way. Yeah, you really started the trend. I, I think I did. <laughs> and it was completely because of a banking error when I was in college. <laughs> Nothing else. I mean, I've always liked my middle name, but... And you also the desire to create really cool initials. That is true. Even though there was a bank in Manhattan called Manufacturers Hanover Trust, ah. um, and I think I had a hat or a T-shirt, you know, from that bank. So I was aware of how cool a logo it could be <laughs> back in the day. But enough about me, and more about the women of Hot Bread Kitchen. Um, you know, we were talking about how to many make... of them have three names. They do four names, five names. Five names. Yeah, um, <laughs> multi-ethnic breads. Um, it seems like the tagline for not only this book, but, you know, HBK as, as a whole. How many ethnicities do you think you have in that kitchen right now? Well, so since we started, we've trained women from 26 different countries. We try really hard to have it be the United Nations of bread. So at any given moment, we try... Ideally, no one language group dominates. It's funny how it's sort of cyclical. Often, you know, we'll kind of hit the tipping point and there'll be more Spanish speakers on the floor. A year ago, it was like everybody was Arabic speaking. And that changes the dynamic and it makes it a little bit harder to manage and women aren't learning English as well. So we try to really keep it, keep true to the the mission, which is United Nations of Bread, truly multi-ethnic. Interestingly, since we moved up to East Harlem, we've been training more women that are born in the U.S. You know, initially it was really focused on foreign-born women, but we have in the past year, you know, to date, about 25% of the women that have come through the program are born here. Yeah. But have barriers to employment, so are coming out of incarceration or are referred through agencies that are helping women um, coming out of domestic violence. So it's really kind of, um, you know, uh, something we feel like, you know, what's important to me is serving the community, and and that's a lot of what women need. And I mean, it also seems like this blending of culture too, that even though you're providing ESL, what you are, are providing equal opportunities for whoever walks in those yeah, doors. Exactly. And I mean, talking of bread too, you're, you're blending cultures in the, the Bialy uh, del Barrio, <laughs> which is one of my favorite breakfast sandwiches in New York. You know, it, it's certainly worth going up there for that. And that's simply a Bialy egg and cheese sandwich with as much Valentina hot sauce as you can put on. And, and a lot of uh, the good sharp cheddar. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's Toasted so, up, but it's so satisfying. I mean, the yolk runs on it, also in the cookbook. Yeah, and, and there are so many things like that in the cookbook because you're not just going to learn how to you know, make your uh, Shabbos uh, <laughs> Um though you will learn how to make a Sephardic style too. Um, there are so many recipes that take the bread as, as some kind of canvas or, or palette and build off of that. What what are some of your favorite, you know, we had this bread and we made this meal? Yeah. So the book to me is like the quintessential New York cookbook because it's about what women cook at home. How, what they're what they're making and how they're using it and then what they're doing with it at home. So it's not like, you know, the essential Indian cookbook, but it's there's definitely South Asian spiced 
recipes. So one of my favorites in the cookbook is definitely Finesse's chapati and the beef and potato curry that goes with it. And it's like simple enough spices that you could buy them without having to make a trip to Jackson Heights. But she gives a few really good tips. Like I never think about when I, you know, made Indian food, I really don't pay that much attention to the browning. But she's like a stickler for browning that meat. Classic culinary tricks, but adding in kind of a different spicing level. It's a really tremendously delicious, successful dish. There's a banh mi. Um, then, of course, the tacos. There's a whole chapter on masa and ma- how to make good masa, what to do with good masa, and then how to make that into tortillas and, and gorditas and use your toppings appropriately. So Nancy Mendez um, gives two recipes for carnitas pork. So how to do like a slow and low and then a faster treatment of the pork to get really, really crispy, delicious carnitas. And to never waste your bread too, because you can always make chilaquiles afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. The real, a really good, um, salsa verde so that you can make the best chilaquiles out of it. Bread pudding, bread salad, which is my household favorite. We eat a ton of bread salad. (laughs) Do you, do you call it panzanella or do you just say bread salad? Pan, you can change up, you know, the language to make it seem. Yeah. Or, or is it, is it bread pudding or is it strata? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I love the strata. That's a very Midwest that's, thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I didn't know that for a long time, but now, now I'm seeing it on every menu. Yeah. Breadcrumbs, croutons. I mean, they're versatile, but I know having had many, if not, I think all of your breads now, um, there usually isn't any leftover. And one of my favorites is still one that is so hard for people to pronounce when they see. Say it. M salmon. Yeah. The Msmen. So, yeah. A riot. Yeah. Like I should just do I should actually do something for social media just of people trying just to pronounce that. Pronounce that bread. Um that's our best seller. Moroccan flatbread made with semolina and wheat flour that's done on the flat top. It is our biggest mover in terms of volume and dollar sales people absolutely love it and it's such the perfect hot bread kitchen story because the baker who taught us how to make that was um named bushra and she's now a baker at danielle and so she graduated from hot bread kitchen left us this wonder wonderful legacy which allows us to train women year over year and has gone on to have a really successful career uh, in baking and how cyclical to end up back at danielle exactly. he, he better thank you for that too yeah, he always does. <laughs> Armenian, Persian. Um, actually, let's talk about the lavash crackers because I, I love those things. You know, they're they're so craggly and you know, such a hearty crunch to them. But they're unlike any lavash cracker I had. I think maybe it's the heart that they have behind them, the love that's put in. But it really yeah. has some depth to it. Um, well, the, my favorite is the local wheat lavash. So we use a local whole wheat. Um, flour that I think adds like a real depth of flavor to it. I think what you're tasting, Michael, is like freshness, right? Mm-hmm. Like most, let's be honest, most crackers that we eat are shelf stable and have been on the shelf for six months up to a year. And we really take put a lot of love into that lavash cracker and we, we sell them fresh and that tastes really good. And we live Vanessa, the baker who does the chapatis is the, the uh, pro, pro product manager for the lavash. And she, there's a little, there's a little lip Vanessa, not literally in every piece of lavash. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love that. Her name is almost like finesse. Yeah. So there's a little bit of la finesse. Oh, I like all that. This I like that. I, yeah. But I mean, fresh, is a key when it comes to bread because I see so many tips on how to make your bread last. Again, we talked about bread salads and bread puddings and bread crumbs and croutons, but you're at so many green markets. 
I mean, you care about quality above anything. Yeah, I think what's key to running a successful social enterprise is really pushing on that quality piece of it. You know, you cannot you cannot sell someone on your mission without having the quality behind it. They'll they'll buy your bread once because they care about immigrant women and they won't buy it again if the the quality isn't good. So from the beginning I have pushed as much on the quality of the bread as I have on the quality of the programming and that is kind of the the key to it all. Um and, and, you know, and this is New York City, and we sell to very exacting clientele. So it's important to really push on that quality piece of it. I mean, rye is a big New York fixture. And, I mean, you, you had to make a proper rye. But you make a rye with Kimmel, with Caraway. Yeah, you know, from I'm from Toronto, and, like, a Kimmel rye is really the way to go. Like, there was very, there was very infrequent that I was able to have the pleasure of having a rye without Kimmel. And so now at the bakery, it's it's really our New Yorker rye has is always is is heavily Kimmeled, and I think it's really quite delicious. Another wonderful staple, at least in my New York existence. Um, I love Ethiopian food so much, mm. and injera is so hard to find here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a wonderful kind of sour, spongy flatbread um, made with teff flour, which is also you know an ingredient that sometimes is hard to find because of politics in the Middle East. <laughs> but you've had a wonderful baker go through there that makes just the most beautiful injera. Yeah. So um, the the entrepreneur that makes the injera is is actually a man, and his name is Hia, and his company is called Taste of Ethiopia. And he makes really gorgeous, gorgeous injera um, that we're able to to bring to market. And it's 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 a wonderful product. And, and again, something we get asked for a lot, and so it's nice to be able to put it in the cookbook. And in the cookbook, we have two versions, one which is 100% teff and one which is wheat flour because to the most of the ta- most of the injera that we're used to eating in Ethiopian restaurants is a blend. And the 100% teff can be very intense for someone that's not expecting yeah. it. Well, you know, I have an acidic... I like the sour, so I go for the tap. (laughs) You go for the 100% tap. It's dark. Yeah. I mean, I'm dark, too, as you can tell. (laughs) You're dark and funky. (laughs) I mean, light, but dark and funky. Of the 27 (laughs) countries, you know, that that have been represented through that kitchen, um, I mean, which ones do you think are missing? Which ones are you hoping to walk Uh, through those doors someday? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're just tip of the iceberg. You know, I I would love to do some some breads from China. Like, I think that there's some really interesting products, and we have never. And it's 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 actually really odd because um, the by far the biggest immigrant sending country to New York City is China, and we've never had a woman in the program from China. Um, and so that's a big question mark and something we push on a lot. So I'm really eager to have that. You know, I think that there's a ton from Central Asia, um, and and we'd love to have a woman come through from Russia. But um, you know, I, I'm really open to it. And the reality of it is, is that we also are we respond to the whims of the market. And New Yorkers eat a lot of hamburger buns, and they eat a lot of sliced multi grains. And so sometimes, you know, I I wish that the market would allow us to bring more. Of these interesting ethnic i wish more chefs were asking for kind of really unique innovative ethnic breads because um we get asked a lot for hamburger buns which we are super happy to do and we our hamburger buns are made with our challah dough and they have a lot of eggs it's a delicious product but um 
you know, we can only make what the what there's an appetite for. And fortunately, the appetite for the M7 developed really quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, I think an appetite for the Nani Barbary is going to explode because you look at the cover of this book. And, I mean, it's such a visual bread with black and white sesame uh, all over the top. And these, these gorgeous cut lines kind of rake down the center. Um, tell me about that bread, the person behind it, and why you want it in so many more locations. Yeah. The Nani Barbie is a delicious classic bread. You know, I, the interesting thing about the Nani Barbie is that it's made with a romal, which is something I don't know in any other breads, which is a, um, which is a flour and water paste that gets <coughs> painted, um, over the top of the bread before it gets loaded in the oven and then it's sprinkled with um, black and white sesame seeds and it's great for dipping or you can rip it on the seams and you can make put it with dips um, and 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 you know frankly we don't sell a ton of it in New York so it was a really conscious decision to put the Nani Barbie on the front of the cookbook to tell its story and make it available to more New Yorkers always about advocacy <laughs> it's, it's still instilled it's me telling people what's good for them if yeah. you know it's good for you yeah bake yourself some nani barbary it's the jewish grandmother <laughs> exactly you. well i mean i i almost can't wait to open up this box of hot bread kitchen next to me thank you so much for bringing that uh bring this book and bring bread and and you know these people's stories to life i mean i i've known you for so long and um it's such a great thing to be at this point, but I know you're going to go so much further, too. So I can't wait to see what that journey is like. Thank you for your year over your yeah. advocacy. I appreciate Always. it. Always. <laughs> well, you've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. A big thank you to Kapow. Uh, the music from Cookies, as always. And hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.